Hey, all you Theosciples, I'm Michael. And I'm Brendan from Finding Christ in Cinema. You are listening to the Theonauts Podcast with your hosts, David and Jeremiah. Right here at gctnetwork.com. Your Great Commission transmission. It's the Theonauts. Episode 131. The one where we can't walk together because you think shampoo is better than conditioner. The Theonauts Podcast. Christian news from around the globe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Explore the vast reaches of God's Word. Hey, all you Theonotheads out there. I'm David Gaddy. I'm Jeremiah Orr. Together we are... The The Theonauts! We're minus Mike today. Yeah, It was so good having him last time. It was so fun. And, you know, I just got to kind of take a backseat and listen to his wisdom on a lot of the resurrection stuff, and it was pretty neat. So thanks again, Mike. Man, we miss you already. That was cool. Yeah. So how are you doing, David? I'm doing good, man. Yeah? Yeah. Good week? Yeah, it's been uh, productive. (laughs) Good. (laughs) I ran out of gas today. That's good. No, it's not. <laughs> so embarrassing. I just totally forgot to fill it. You know, it's humbling though. It is very humbling to have to call. Well, I was going to uh, pay a bill on my teacher break. You know, our planning period. Well, mm-hmm. I'm supposed to be planning. I was driving to pay a bill, and uh, so I ran out of gas, and I had to call one of my fellow teachers to come pick me up and go get a gas can and wow. fill it up with the. Yeah, it was horrible. <laughs> Felt like I was a teenager all over again. And what's funny is, is I always rant on my teenagers to, uh, you know, make sure that gas there's truck, you know, gas in the truck and all that. And, oh well, so yeah, definitely a humbling experience. So that was my day, anyways. Wow, that was for free. I, That's in case fun. You wanted to know, yeah. It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it just breaks the monotony. Sure. It's like, you know, you don't have to do the same thing day in and day out. Sometimes, sometimes you can run out of gas. Sometimes you can just run out of gas having a little adventure. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, add a little, you although, know. Although that's not an adventure. You know what <laughs> ticked me off more than anything? The stupid new spouts that they put on these stupid new gas cans. Okay. I don't guess I follow. There's this, have you not seen these things? I don't guess so. You have to twist them and push down, and then it releases. It it opens up the spout so you can pour gas out, right? Okay. Because it's this new regulator. So thing. that you can't spill and, it in your car. Yeah, all gas cans have them now. But mine, I mean, I couldn't even get it open. So I had to break the thing. It's childproof. Rip it off, pretty much. <laughs> and then break the, you know, and I got gas all over. It's just not a not a good thing. So anyways, that's my gas yeah. rant for the day. Well, you I know, can't believe I did that. But you know, the flip side of that one is, you know, a few years ago, we had a, we had this SUV and um, it was Melanie's, by yeah. the way. It was her vehicle. And I had to run and go get, of course, I've got a little two-seater, so I can't carry anything. <laughs> Always, yeah. So, uh, so I go to get a can of gas at the gas station, fill up the can of gas. So I, I go and I put it in the back of this SUV, okay? Mm-hmm. And I just kind of just, you know, drove like I wasn't carrying a, a can of gas in the back Sure, seat of, of course. 
all <laughs> over all over the place and spilled like half of that <laughs> gas can of gasoline all over the back of that SUV and I so was So you learned a lesson. Yes, I got into all kinds of terrible trouble over that. Well, I'm sure you did. <laughs> Melody wasn't having that gas in the back of her car, man, that's horrible. Yeah, it was ridiculous actually cuz yeah. we tried to air it out and it just never was the same <laughs> after that. So Uh so anyways. Uh, oh, I know one thing I that I was going to bring up. Yes. Is uh we got a little bit of feedback. Oh, did we? On 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 the episode last time. Awesome. From our 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 good friend down in Mississippi. Mississippi. Samuel Bobo. Samuel Bobo. Who? Bobo. At least that's what Bobo. it says. Samuel. Samuel, uh, if you're listening, is that your name? Bobo? <laughs> I mean, if it is, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's, that, that's yeah, we're just excellent last <laughs> name. Anyway. So anyway, let me give you what he says. He says, absolutely amazing as usual, guys. I can't thank you enough for the work that y'all do. Oh, and I'm thanking you all the way from Biloxi, Mississippi. Biloxi, Mississippi. Which is very close to Picayune. We are. <laughs> Yeah, like they can see so Picayune. We were picking fur. on Picayune. That's right. In the last episode. Picayune. And that's because of me, by the way. Sure. I've got family in that area. <laughs> so, but but anyway, he was like, uh, Jeremiah is much more of a redneck than I am. <laughs> <laughs> which should surprise you because I, I grew up in Kansas, which, you know, not a lot of, well, I guess there are, it's a lot of corn. But you people. are an Oklahoma fan. I'm a huge Oklahoma fan. That's mm-hmm. right. Boomer Sooner. But that, that's the promised land, and that's the greatest. That's redneck land. It's even the nation. No. Oh, no. Oh, yes. Oh, no. Texas is oh, much more redneck whatever. than Oklahoma whatever. can ever be. Whatever. Who come horns? It works the same way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, One's a medical school. Yeah, the others whatever make manure or whatever y'all do. They they just have to recruit everything from Texas. <laughs> like education wise, oh no education wise, skill wise, that's not true. Everything. Not education wise. That's a bunch of bull It's like Canada and US. That's ridiculous. <laughs> it is very much it's the same thing. I'm just gonna have to I'm rant just, for I'm, a second I'm just here. Saying. I'm gonna have to rant for a second here. <laughs> No other state I've ever lived in. And I've lived in a lot of states. Missouri, Oklahoma, Michigan, Nevada. Go ahead. Kansas. No other state makes you say the state pledge other than Texas. They're so full of themselves, it's unbelievable. That's because we used to be our own nation. We were a republic. We were a republic. (laughs) So ridiculous. But okay, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah, you're still a part of the United States. Unfortunately. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I give up. All right, see you all next week. No, I'm joking. That's great. Yeah, well, you did get to Texas as quick as you could, so... Mm. I, I, I applaud lo- you. I, I applaud you for that. I do love Texas. I do. It's just <laughs> I can't stand the arrogance sometimes. Yeah, but that's okay. I understand. Pride. It's yeah. It's... It goes before destruction. <laughs> and every year, the Longhorns get destructed. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, well, destructed. I just made a word. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Speaking of arrogance and pride, let's talk about Amos. Yeah. 
I thought you were going to say you're talking about rednecks. No. Amos is kind of a redneck redneck name, though. Amos was kind of a redneck person. Yeah. I imagine him, out of all the other prophets, I imagine him as wearing, you know, either blue jeans or some good old overalls, <laughs> having a with, piece of chaw in his mouth. With his, yeah, with his... Uh, Texas hat and a John Deere, yeah, Texas hat or John Deere hat, yeah. Whatever. You notice that the southern state is having to go up and tell the, <laughs> the northern, northern state, state what their problem is. That's right, but it's not Just like saying. the southern state didn't get owned as well. <laughs> by the way, um, so if you're totally confused, I totally understand. We're talking about the minor prophet Amos this week, and uh, yeah. Amos was a very interesting. I I said to David, I think that Amos shouldn't be a minor prophet. I think he should be a major prophet. They consider Amos a minor prophet because, well, he's... The length of the book. The length of the book. And it deals specifically with... I mean, it's a smaller dealing than... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Isaiah deals globally in a lot of ways. But, right. but then you... And Jeremiah does too, and Ezekiel and Daniel. But then you have these minor prophets, and Amos, I think he would be the king of the minor prophets, I, yeah. is what I'd put him Well, this is all part of the Nevi'im mm-hmm. in the Jewish um, the Jewish Bible. And so, and even they don't, like, put, uh, like... Differentiate. Right. Well, they don't differentiate in the way of saying that, hey, this one's more important than this one. Or Although and, they do view Isaiah and, as, like, huge. And, uh, and so that, that's really not what the major and minor even means no. that it's, it's referring to minor because it's, they're smaller. Right. But. Now, uh, the reason I like Amos so much is Amos was actually the first in the line of the prophets. If you look, um, historically, Amos comes a little bit right before Isaiah. He is a contemporary of Isaiah, right? Um, but he does his <clears throat> prophecies just a little bit before Isaiah does. And uh, you notice Isaiah, I think Isaiah was inspired by Amos a little bit. Mm-hmm. If you look at some of the writing, you can see um, maybe Isaiah fanboyed yeah. <laughs> Amos just a little bit. Amos was an OG, um, <laughs> was an OG uh, uh, prophet. But here's the deal: he wasn't a member of the Sons of the Prophets, which you know they had prophet schools back mm-hmm. then. He wasn't a prophet by trade. He was just a man that God used. Yep. He was a layman, right? And you know, and to be honest, we don't know a lot about Amos. No, he doesn't show up in any other writings there. And he, um, all we really know about him is what he discloses himself in, I believe, chapter seven uh, of the book. And so, which by the way, this is a nine chapter book, which is yeah. kind of large for us to do a complete expositional study like we have been doing. We're gonna jump through a couple chapters and then hit hard. For a little bit, but yeah. yeah, definitely, yeah, it's a nine chapter book, and uh, so and there's some background we really need to lay before right. we even really get into it. Because okay, first off, we were talking about the Southern Kingdom, we we're talking about the Northern Kingdom. What does all that mean? You know, uh, in this time frame, this is uh, we know that this took place in somewhere prior to seven ninety three, because that's when King Uzziah died, and it says it happened in the time right of King Uzziah. Um, but this happens in the time frame of uh, the divided kingdom. Mm-hmm. Okay, so after King David, and then you had King Solomon, when Solomon died, there was a dispute over the throne right. between uh, uh, Solomon's choice, Rehoboam, 
and this guy Jeroboam. Jeroboam. <clears throat> and uh, uh, basically, everyone was kind of wanting Jeroboam. And although God pretty much said, "No, Rehoboam's the one that you mean." God didn't want the what right. the people wanted. So shocker, mm-hmm. first time that that right. <laughs> so it ended up splitting the kingdom. Right. Jeroboam took the throne into the new kingdom, mm-hmm. and so. It it wasn't exactly an even split with the um, with the tribes, but pretty much ten of the major tribes went north, north. of Jerusalem and became and, and retained the name Israel, and they that was the northern kingdom. Right. The uh, the other two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, Benjamin. Mm-hmm. Uh, hung out in the south, and they they kept Jerusalem. But they then became known as the kingdom of Judah. Judah, mm-hmm. and so this is during that time frame. Now, if we go historically and we look at the uh, the cycle that they go through at this point, uh, after that happens, the northern kingdom is in a downward spiral. Like they never ever do what God wants them to do. Yeah, they left temple worship. They left it all behind. They started worshiping in high places, which led to them worshiping idols, which led to them uh, falling away and and doing their own thing. And that's a lot of what we're going to read about. Is there? They became pretty successful. They were still big. They were. They still had dominion over a lot of the countries around them. Um, <clears throat> but the southern kingdom actually did kind of a cyclical thing. uh, You would have one king that was horrible, then you'd have the next king, which was good, and another king that was horrible, and then one that was good. And it kind of did this until it finally spiraled down itself. So uh, both of these kingdoms came to an end. Uh, The northern kingdom was finally uh, defeated first. By the Assyrians. Wiped out by the Assyrians. And that's what we're going to be reading about. Amos is predicting. He's predicting the fall of the northern kingdom of Israel. Israel. He, at the time, is part of the southern kingdom of Judah, which ends up falling to Babylon, and that's when we get the whole story of Daniel Mm -hmm. and company, is whenever they go into exile from Judah. Uh, But... The, the northern kingdom fell first. Right. And so Amos, like like uh, David said, focuses almost solely on uh, Israel. In fact, uh, from chapters 3 on through chapter 8, it's all about Israel. But mm-hmm. um, it's, it's interesting to note, first off, that Amos was a member of the southern kingdom, and God sent him to the northern kingdom to talk to good old Jeroboam and uh, and give him this this uh, prophecy. But if you start with chapters 1 and go through chapter, basically chapter 2, um, he starts out, Amos starts out talking about Israel and Judah's neighboring nations. Okay? Yeah. So if you look at... Uh, a whole list of them. That yeah. And he, and he has this... Uh, the one thing you'll notice about Amos is that he's very poetic in his writing. In fact, scholars have traced some of Amos's style and some of what he uses back to all the way back to uh, Sumerian um, texts. Yeah. Uh, in fact, there were these <clears throat> laments that were written by some uh, Sumerians. Um, like all the way back to Ur, <laughs> go yes. back and the lament of Ur and all these other. So, um, Amos kind of writes in that style, and he's he's kind of new at that. Not a lot of people did that at the time, and not a lot of people actually wrote down their prophecies 
at the time. Yeah, and one of the things I was hearing is that um, that it's mostly thought that these this was not originally one single work. Like this was a collection that was put together of sermons and poems that he was writing while he went to he went to the Northern Kingdom right. and started causing waves. Problems. Right, he started <laughs> yeah. like uh, preaching and started. Right. And in fact, you'll hear some of this uh, whenever it talks about the uh, whenever he he deals with the priests yeah. and stuff like this. They're kind of like, hey, man, we've been hearing all these these rumblings that you're causing. Yeah. And uh, this... basically it told him to shut up. Right. right. Go back home. We don't want you here. And so for <clears> me, <throat> the thinking is Amos is like, all right, I'll shut up, but you're not going to stop me from writing it. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so he writes this stuff, um, which is, again, this is kind of a newer thing. And then, uh, but it's something that Isaiah picks up on, something that Jeremiah picks up on, Daniel picks up on. They write these prophecies, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of a newer thing. So um, like I said, Amos was, an OG in it. Um, pretty cool. So, uh, if you read Amos chapter one, it starts a lot like actually Isaiah, the words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of, uh, Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And there's this interesting before the earthquake thing, which, uh, scholars haven't. I don't think. I did you find anything on that? No, I actually looked a little bit, and I couldn't find what it, exactly it was referencing to. Exactly, which would be cool because if we could, if we could pinpoint that event, we could date. You could date this book a lot better. Yeah, a lot better. But most people dated around seven sixty between seven sixty and seven fifty. Yeah. So this is early. Um, in or Uzziah. Seven, I, I, yeah, I've got one reference here. It says seven eighty. Wow, seven eighty seven. So. So uh, even earlier, right? So Amos starts prophesying, prophesying in chapter one and two, and the first things he does is, like I said, he he goes around Israel and Jerusalem's neighbors. So mm-hmm. he talks about Damascus, he talks about Gaza, he talks about Tyre, Edom, Ammonites. Uh, that that hits all chapter one, right? And he talks about their transgressions, and he uses this. Hebrew poetry again, mm-hmm. just like uh, Psalm uses this kind of thing. Look at verse 6, for example. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza, and for four I will not revoke the punishment. Okay? So, and he repeats this for all of them. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Even Israel. Right. Verse 9, for three transgressions of Tyre, and for four I will not revoke the punishment. And he gives reasons that, that they're going to be punished. Um, for example, um, for Gaza, because they carried into exile a whole people and delivered them to, up to Edom. So I will send fire upon the wall of Gaza, and it shall devour her strongholds. I will cut off the inhabitants of Ashad, and him who holds the scepter of Ashkelon... I will turn my hand against Ekron, and the remnants of the Philistines shall perish. Yeah. I also think it's there's some harsh things here that uh, if we knew the very details of some of this that happened, it would be interesting. Like, for example, um, the what what it says against the Ammonites. Oh, yeah, that one's very <clears throat> It says, because they have ripped open pregnant women in Gilead that they might enlarge their border. 
<laughs> wow. That's brutal. Yes. And one of the things I think is interesting about this list also is we finally get to Israel. Um, in chapter 3. Uh, no, in chapter 2. It, it, oh, that's it, right. It, it, it hits it in verse 6. But uh, it touches on Judah. Judah doesn't escape this. They're going to get their punishment as well. Uh, but w- what I find interesting about this is if you if you were to map out all these places that he's saying are going to receive their judgment, they all kind of encircle... Like, as he starts out, he's like on this outer circle, and then as he continues on, he comes closer to Israel in this inner circle, and then finally he hits Israel, and it's almost like there's this zeroing in that's happening, uh, which is kind of cool. But the things that, that we read about that these nations are being judged for, I think is interesting. It's basically their cruelty yeah, and their brutality and their... Their lack of justice. Exactly. That's the, that's basically what he is nailing them on. Yeah. And it's not because you didn't follow my laws or you didn't follow my commands. I mean, he does that with Israel, but he doesn't do that with these with these uh, pagan nations. Right. And here's a nugget of truth that we're going to come back to later when we, we continue reading this. It's very interesting that God is going to judge these outlying nations. Because God has not made a covenant with these outlying nations. Mm-hmm. So why would God judge them? And the point that Amos is making is that God is God of all. Yes. And it doesn't matter if <clears> He's a been, God of justice. He's a God of justice. If it doesn't matter if you you've been given the law or the covenant, you still should be you should have justice. And so if there were, if there was one word that would sum up Amos, it would be justice. Mm-hmm. God, justice dem- and righteousness. God Those demands are gonna, justice and righteousness. Going to keep coming back. That's that's the theme um, of Amos. So let's look at verse four real quick. Uh, the judgment of Judah, because it's interesting. Because it's you know Judah's Israel's brother. Thus says the Lord: For three transgressions of Judah and four, I will not revoke the punishment. Because they have rejected the law of the Lord. Now, he hits the law with Judah because Judah is mm-hmm. a member of the covenant, right? Right. Um, and have not kept his statutes, but their their lies have led them astray, those after which their fathers walked. So I will send fire upon Judah and shall devour the strongholds of Jerusalem. Okay. Now, let's get into Israel. Verse 6. Okay. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Israel... And for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go into the same girl, so that my holy name is profaned, and they lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge, and in the house of their God they drink the wine of those who have been fined. So yeah. this is all about um, self righteousness and and poor justice, like no justice. That's right. See, Israel uh, is in a predicament because they're doing their ceremonies, they're doing all this stuff, but then. At the same time, they are um, they are beating and downtrodden, beating the poor. Right, right. Um, so that's actually what Amos focus on more than anything. They're mm-hmm. they're not uplifting the the poor and the needy. Right, they're treating them like scum, and they're not helping them out. And here's the deal: um, uh, Israel was experiencing a prominent 
um, time of growth and wealth in right. the society at this time of Jeroboam. Um, they were making money and they were doing really well for themselves. And, uh, but they weren't supporting the people who, who were in need at all. And this to me is like a good echo of, of, I mean, it's a, it's a picture of the human condition. So like, for example, um, Israel always grew and in a time of poverty and they shrank away from God in times of prosperity. prosperity yeah. And if we look at the world in general, that is tends to be what happens. Mm. Um, uh, and, you know, I hate to, to, to bring that real close to home, but I mean, hey, we are in one of the wealthiest nation in the world. Yeah. And, um, and so what we see as normal and what we see as poor is not, it's distorted. It's like, it's not quite on the same par as the rest of the world. That's right. And so, um, you know, where we have, we have religious freedom and we have all these things, but with that comes a big complacency. Mm. And that's part of what is being happening here in Israel that Amos is, is bringing this judgment about is they were complacent in their wealth and were weren't being generous and that sort of thing. Right. And honestly, they probably didn't even realize it. I mean, they were probably just going about their day much the same way we do. Exactly. Um, and God is giving them some very specific, disgusting things, like the man and his father go into the same right. uh, girl. Uh, my holy name is profane. So they've forgotten the law of God along with this trampling poor into the dust of the earth thing. Um, so those two things are are really uh, a problem in Israel. Then God tries to remind them. He says, Yet it was I, in verse 9, who destroyed the Amorite before them, whose height was like the height of the cedars, who was as strong as the oaks. I destroyed his fruit above and his roots beneath. Also it was I who brought you up from the land of Egypt and led you 40 years in the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. And I raised up some of your sons for prophets and some of your young men for Nazarites. It is not indeed so, o, is it not indeed so, O people of Israel, declares the Lord? But you made the Am- Nazarites drink wine <laughs> and commanded the prophet, saying, You shall not prophesy. Behold, I will press you down in your place. As a cart full of sheaves presses down, flight shall perish from the swift, and the strong shall not retain his strength, nor shall the mighty save his life. He who handles the bow shall not stand, and he who is swift of foot shall not save himself, nor shall he who rides the horse save his life. And he who is stout of heart among the mighty shall flee away naked in that day, declares the Lord. So the things that they were doing was like purposefully in the face of God. Yeah. Like like let's look at the Nazarite thing. The Nazarite thing was a uh it was a vow yeah. that was made uh to God in order to serve him fully. So it's kind of like a a lifelong fast in a yeah. way. So uh you weren't allowed to drink wine as a Nazarite. That was completely forbidden. forbidden. You weren't allowed to cut your hair. Um, and so there's all this this stuff. A couple of good examples of this, I believe, is uh, Eli mm-hmm. is was a Nazarite, took the Nazarite vow. Uh, Samson 
was given a Nazarite vow. And so anyway, you've got this thing here um, where it says, you made the Nazarites drink wine. I mean, why, what's, even, what's the point of that? Why would you even do that? Right. Unless it was to do something as a direct offense to God. Like you were trying to, <laughs> to offend God and telling prophets don't, Not prophesy. don't prophesy. And this was something that was happening. We'll, we'll get to that in yeah. chapter 7. Yeah, by the way, that's going to come up. That's right. Mm-hmm. So uh, that, you know, they, they were definitely off the track. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, all right, so let's jump to chapter 3, verse 2. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Do two walk together unless they've agreed to meet? Does a roaring, uh, does a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Does a young lion cry out from his den if he has taken nothing? Does a bird fall in a snare on the earth when there is no trap for it? Does a snare spring up from the ground when there's okay? So he gives these all. Does there? Does this? Yeah. Um, Let's let's hit that uh, Amos three three thing oh, yeah. for a second. Okay, so first off, everybody <laughs> that uses Amos three three needs to read the Book of Amos <laughs> because it's talking about you. That's right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. <laughs> careful there, Dave. Don't want to step on toes. Well, guess what? Theonauts episode one. Yeah. Episode one yeah. of the Theonauts, we talked about this. Yes. So the, <laughs> so this is nothing new on the Theonauts. We've talked about this several times before. Um, it, there are several passages, actually, in the book of Amos that I have heard get thrown around all over the place for the complete wrong reason <laughs> that they were written. And this is one of them. And mainly, if you have a newer translation the problem shouldn't even really be there. Yeah, the ESV translates it yeah, very well. Yeah, the, most of the new translations. So what's the KJV say? So it says, uh, "Do uh, can two walk together unless they agreed? Unless they are agreed." <laughs> so um, and and so that makes it sound like, oh, okay. So if you and I don't agree on something, don't agree on something like anything, yeah. or it could be. I mean, there's no. I mean, the, the, the sky's the limit. We right. can just make it up, right? It can be a small thing or it can be a big thing. Superman's terrible. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and <laughs> I love Superman. Yeah. So you're completely off See your you rocker. <laughs> so we, we have nothing. So, you know, Oklahoma is. Hey, I don't want to But so we can say, okay, hey, we just can't agree. And so, uh, how can we walk together? In other words, we can't have fellowship. We can't have holy communion. We can't have <laughs> brotherhood. We can't have... No, this is not what Amos is saying. Stop using it that way. Okay, so, so um, first off, Amos 3.2. I want to go ahead and focus on that. Yeah. Because that is one of the key verses of the, of the book. Yes. So, what, it, what he's saying basically is... Uh, and I, man, I meant to go back and get all the, these passages that talk about, uh, God as our father. Mm. Okay. Hey, we got all these passages like in Romans and Corinthians and, you know, we cry out Abba father and we're given the spirit of adoption. And I mean, all these, these passages that talk about him being our father and whoever the father loves, he is the one who is chastised yes. or he is the one who is, who's disciplined. Uh, so a father disciplines his children. Mm. And I think one of the big things, that, and the reason why all these judgments are going to come to all those 
nations mentioned in one and two, but the bulk of this book isn't written to those nations. That's right. And, and this is the verse that tells us why. It says, you only have I known from all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Mm. So yes, he's going to hold all these others accountable for their cruelty and for their inhumane practices. But what he's going to hold Israel accountable for goes further than that. Yeah, He's going to hold them accountable for not following him, for yes. not for all the idolatry, for all the complacency, for all the, the lack of justice, the lack of righteousness, all these things that are in, in their camp because he's their dad. Yeah. Because I'm your father. And therefore, and so then he begins this, does that not make sense? That's what he's saying. Right. He was like, does that not make sense that a father would take care of his discipline, his children, can two people even walk together if they haven't a set aside a time to do it? Mm. That's what that verse means. Does a does a lion roar out unless he's actually got some prey? Uh, you know, does a bird fall um, in a snare of the earth if there's not a trap there? If if there was no trap. The bird won't fall. So basically, he's he's giving this cause and effect type of poetic structure to why it makes sense that sure. God is bringing judgment. Does to the them. wind blow in Kansas on a windy day? Yeah, you know, yeah. that's what he's Does saying. Does a bear? You no, know, just never mind. <laughs> <laughs> And then he answers himself in verse 7, For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants and prophets. Mm -hmm. The lion has roared. Who will not fear? Which is cool. (laughs) Because now we're getting full circle on the metaphor. That's right. That the 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 Lord is as a, a lion. And obviously Jesus is the lion. That's right. Um the Lord has spoken, but who can prophesy? Okay, so jump down a little bit. Um, verse 12. Thus says the Lord, as a shepherd rescues from the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the people of Israel who dwell in Samaria be rescued with the corner of a couch and a part of a bed. <laughs> Whoa. So what's that saying? It's, yeah. it's like, you know, when you get rescued, you're going to be half a person. <laughs> right. Not much left. <laughs> There's not going to be much left of you. Um, Here and testify against the house of Jacob, declares the Lord God, the God of hosts. On that day, I will punish Israel for his transgressions. I will punish the authors of uh, altars of Bethel, and the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. I will strike the winter house along with the summer house, and the house of ivory shall perish, and the great houses shall come to an end, declares the Lord. So again, uh, a testament to Israel's wealth right there, mm-hmm. house of ivory, and this, this picture of ivory comes up again. Um, but the idea is that even though they're comfortable in their wealth, God is going to strike them down. Um, all right. Yeah. Um, I, I, I saw one thing that I thought was kind of interesting here that, um, that, that, that Israel has a great calling and with that calling comes a great responsibility. Yeah. And so with that responsibility comes great consequences. And so this is something that I think that we can take to heart as well. We've been given a calling. Mm. As Christians, 
right? And so although all the things that we're going to read about in Amos don't necessarily pertain to us, there are very valuable lessons here, and, and one of them is this to me. We are his sons and daughters. Yes. We are part of the family that's been grafted in. We have this great calling. We have this great responsibility for this. It's just like Spider-Man, right? Mm. <laughs> that's right. So uh, with great power, power comes, comes great, great responsibility. responsibility. And so you've got this, this, this great responsibility. And so therefore, there are great consequences to us tossing that away mm. or trampling on it. And which is what they were doing here. Um, I want to talk a little bit here about in chapter four as we as he begins to talk about the what's coming for them. Yes, um, there is some very telling things about the prophecy that I think is really cool. So I'm going to start right in chapter four. It says, "Hear this word, you cows of Bashan," which that comes up a lot, which I think is interesting. I guess Bashan was just like this great. You know, cattleman's place or whatever, because you know the Psalm twenty two is like cows the, of Texas, the bulls of Bashan. There you go. But anyway, he says, uh, "Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy." Same type of thing coming yeah. on again. Who say to your husbands, "Bring that we may drink." Um, the Lord has sworn by his holiness that behold, the days are coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks, mm. and you shall go out through the breaches, each one of you, and you shall be cast into Harmon. I don't know about you, but I've gotten fish hooks in my skin before and it's mm. not fun. Well, this is one of the things I've, I found interesting is this fish hooks thing was a it was a common thing to the Assyrians. Oh, really? Yeah. See the the Assyrians that, that was one way they degraded their captives. So when they would take people alive, they would hook them through the nose with fish hooks and lead them away that way. And so oh. so this is a literal I believe this is a literal prophecy. Yeah, well, I mean, it was Assyria that <clears throat> captured them, and mm-hmm. the Assyrians, if they did that, then this is what they would have done. Yeah. How awesome. And wow. so, and it mentions Harmon, uh, which we don't really know where that is, but um, we're, uh, I would assume that it was re- a reference to the, the, Assy- <clears throat> the Assyrian um, area. Yeah. So, wow. um, But anyway, oh, Bethel... Yes. Is, is Bethel, let's talk about that just for a second. Bethel is the is the capital of Israel at yes. this point because um, they're, they don't have Jerusalem. Right. Because so they had to make up their Judah own Judah has Jerusalem. And so if you look on a map, Bethel is just slightly north of Jerusalem. Like it's, it is, you've got the tribe of Benjamin had a little chunk of land just north of, of Israel and Bethel is right at the border. So it's almost like they're as close to Jerusalem as they can get, <laughs> as they could get without going into the the area of Judah, and, and or Benjamin, and so uh, Bethel is, um, which means house of God. That's mm-hmm. what the the word Bethel. means. We've di- um, we've discussed that before. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, it's it's like this. They've they've built it up. It's this huge, like, capital city with. Great pillars and 
and all this sort of stuff. And right. Of course, all the worship was still happening in high places. But anyway, you'll hear Bethel talked about, talked about, especially when we get to the prophetic portion of the book. Yeah. So in verse 4, they were actually doing their sacrifices and doing all that stuff. You can see this. Come to Bethel. And then he says, and, and transgress, transgress. <laughs> to Gilgal and multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three weeks. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leavened mm-hmm. and proclaim free will offerings. Publish them. For so you love to do, O people of Israel, declares the Lord. So sarcastic. Yeah. So, yeah, God is being very sarcastic here, and he's talking about the fact that they're still practicing their religious duties. Yeah, yeah. They're still doing their... They're cool with it. Yeah, their religious practices, but... There's no. What's your problem, God? We're doing. We're doing what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah. There's no heart in mm-hmm. it. It's all fake. It's a shell. Yeah. It's a show. Right. Yeah. Um, I give you cleanliness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places. Yet you did not return to me. So I withheld rain from you. When there was yet three months of the harvest, I would send rain one city and send no rain to another. One field would have rain, and the field in which it did not rain would wither. So two or three cities would wander to another city and drink water and would not be satisfied. Yet you did not return to me. In mm-hmm. other words, God has he's been sending problems their way yeah. in hopes that they would return Trying to Trying to get them, which is the pattern. Yes. Like whenever people... Are in need, that's when they come to God. And so, what's he doing? He's like he's he's saying. And by the way, each one of these is like a little poem. Yeah, like each each verse here is like a little piece of. Yes, this is all poetry. That uh, or you know a psalm. And and so yeah, so you've got all this. You know, he's sending them blights and pestilence and all kinds of stuff, which is kind of a funny argument when you really think about it. It's like, hey, I sent you all this trouble and you never came back to me. (laughs) But it makes sense whenever you understand that. And look in your own life. Isn't that what you do? Right. Like whenever trouble hits, that's whenever you pick up the phone and call God. Well, it's almost like a father who is punishing his child, but the child's just not getting it over and over and over and over again. And mm-hmm. each one of these is a little harsher, by the way. Yeah. Um, it, it ends up, I killed your you know, young men with a sword, yeah. carried away your horses, right? And you still didn't return to me. Therefore, verse 12, I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel, for behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man with his thought, who makes the morning darkness and shreds in the heights of the earth, the Lord, the God of hosts is his name. He's proclaiming how strong he is. And this is, by the way, this is a uh, uh, direct correlation to what I was talking about before, which was a uh, lament of uh, Ur, I believe, or something like that. Oh, Okay. So, yeah. All right. Um, Amos 5. This is where it gets juicy to me. This is good. Yeah. So um, I want to pick up a little bit here. Okay. And get um, at least the first four verses. So it says, Hear this word that I take up over you in lamentation, O house of Israel. So, okay, this is kind of cool because he's saying, I don't want this to happen. I'm lamenting that I'm having to do this. Right. Fallen no more to rise is the virgin Israel. That's so true. 
the kings that the every king was worse than the previous one. They right. just went downhill the entire time. It says forsaken on her land, with none to raise her up. For thus saith the Lord God, the city that went out a thousand shall be left a hun- have a hundred left, and that which went out a hundred shall have ten left to the house of Israel. For thus saith the Lord of the house of Israel, and this is a key verse, mm. Seek me and live, but do not seek Bethel, do not enter Gilgal, or cross over to Beersheba, for Gilgal shall surely go into exile, and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like the fire in the house of Joseph and devour it with none to quench it for Bethel. O you who turn justice to wormwood mm. and cast down righteousness to the earth. There's our two words. So justice, righteousness. Yes. So this is uh to me the this is the focal point of the book. Like this is and we're pretty much in the middle right. of the book. And this is, is where the, the center of the point is. So he says, seek me and live. And it was it's really simple, actually. I mean, it's not hard. I mean, even Jesus. When Jesus says that uh, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, you know, yes, it can be hard to do things as Christians sometimes, but the bottom line is being a son is not work. Like being, being that, being. It's just being. And he's like, he's like, seek me and live. It's real easy. But if you're going to get, if you're seeking Bethel, if you're seeking Gilgal, all these material things, and all you're focused on is your wealth and your power and your, and all the things that make you, that you think make you happy, if that's what you're focused on, then you're going to miss me. And I'm the most important thing you know. Yeah. And so what he's lamenting here is that you guys, because you've left me, you have become something unlike me. You've become you've you lack in justice mm. and you lack in righteousness. So, um, I want to look at those words right quick in the um, in the the original Hebrew. If I can get pulled up here right quick. So, judgment is uh, mispot, which um, it's. Pronounced judiciously, especially a sentence of a formal decree, a divine of divine law, including the act, the place, the suit, and the crime and the penalty, justice, including a participant's right or privileges. So what it basically is is it is the it is the application of this other word, which is translated righteousness mm-hmm. or sadaka. Uh, which means uh, uh, moral, moral value, being just, having a right way of thinking. And so um, it's not just about, um, it's not just about, like even with, without God, like even the pagan nations should be able to catch some of this and have a morality and have this, so he's saying, look, not you because you don't have this morality, because you don't have this sense of justice, you're not judging properly, and you're you're treating people with inequity. Yeah, and uh, and so that's like all those things that we've been leading up to here, um, how they've made debtors 
of the and slaves yeah. of of their debtors. And they have made, uh, they've even, there's a place in here where it, their legal representation is completely removed. Like they don't even have the ability to gain anything in court or because they've created a class system that has built itself off the backs of the poor. Marginalize the poor. This is all about social justice. Mm-hmm. That's their big deal is that they are, they are treating the poor with such disdain mm-hmm. and hatred that indignity yeah and that's that's a complete affront to god that's the complete opposite of of a christian that's right like if you look at what defines jesus that's the complete opposite of him and therefore it's the complete opposite of god and that's why he's saying seek me like don't seek all this power that's causing you to be unrighteous seek me and and by the way, all of your all of your worship until you get until you seek me, your worship means nothing. Right, and we'll get to that. It's a waste of space. All right, so verse eight: okay. He who made the Pleiades and Orion, and turns deep darkness into morning and darkness in the day into night, who calls the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth, the Lord is his name. Who makes destruction destruction flash forth against the strong so that destruction comes upon the fortress. Again, God is proclaiming how powerful he is mm-hmm. and reminding them, they hate him who reproves in the gate, and they abhor him who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from them, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. For I know how many of your transgressions and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and turn aside the needy in the gate. Therefore, he who is prudent will keep silent in such a time, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil. Yeah, so, yeah, let's pick up on that again. So verse 14 is a parallel statement Mm. to verse 7. Uh, verse 7 said, seek God, or seek the Lord, and uh, you may live. live. Mm-hmm. And what does it say here in verse 14? It's poetic. It's a, it's a parallel. Mm-hmm. It's seek good and not evil that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you as you have said. You notice it doesn't necessarily say be good. It says seek good, yeah. It's seek good. This is not about deeds as much as it is about heart. It's not about what you're physically doing. It's what the, the intentions of what you're doing. Well, yeah. In the next verse, if you look at that, hate evil and love good. Mm. Yes. I mean, that's that's the meat of that idea. Uh, establish justice in the gate. And it may be that the Lord, yeah. the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. So this term in in the gate... Like, hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. Okay, so what this means is uh, it was traditional uh, during this time that every city had a court court at the gate. Like, there was a place where the the city elders, the council members, whatever, they would sit. They would take turns and setting, literally setting at the gate in order to welcome... Visitors coming in mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Okay, so think about what he's saying here in terms of social justice. So obviously, a wealthy guy comes in and he gets the red carpet. 
some beggar comes in the door and it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, dude, we don't have room for you or whatever. I mean, right. And so or they tax them. Right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Or or puts them to work or right. enslaves them or whatever. And so the, his point is th- these are he's talking to the leaders. He's talking to those that have control. He was like, they you need to have justice on everyone as they as they enter. Keep reading there. Okay, it says therefore, thus saith the Lord, the, the God of hosts uh, the Lord, in all the squares there shall be wailing, and in the streets they shall say, Alas, alas, they shall call the farmers to mourning, and to wailing those who are skilled in lamentation. <laughs> wow. And in all vineyards there shall be wailing, for I will pass through your midst, says the Lord. Mm, that's a parallel right there, passing mm. through the midst mm-hmm. of the uh, the last plague, right? Yeah, the, uh, the Passover. The angel of death. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's like a, a thing going on there. That's right. So um, picking back up in verse 18, uh, because there's another really cool parallel that's coming down the pipe, or another key verse here. Yeah. Uh, it says, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? <laughs> this is great. It is darkness in the light, as if man fled from a lion and a bear met him. <laughs> or went a great image. <laughs> or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall, and a serpent bit him. It's not... Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? I hate, I despise your feast, Mm. and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fatted animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever flowing stream. So I want to pause there for just a second because this is a key verse. Mm-hmm. It's the, it goes back to the whole point. Mentions those two words again, justice and righteousness let justice roll down like waters and let righteousness like an ever flowing stream the the imagery that i get in my head here is that if he is specifically talking about the leaders this should have a trickle down effect right it's, oh that's good it, it starts at the gate and it flows in and people then pay it forward yeah. and they respond in justice and righteousness and this is contagious and but he's like it has to start with you and so that's why he's telling them here uh you know yes there's a lot of talk about worship that's happening here but he's not talking about worship Mm-mm. he's talking about how worship is useless without this that's the whole point that without this love, without this care for others, without this this love for God, without seeking Him, worship is fruitless and it is a waste of time. And that's why he says, I despise your feast. Now stop and think about it for a minute. He doesn't necessarily have a problem with the feast themselves. Right. After all, he established them. That's right. Right? So why would he have a problem with it? He says, I take no delight in your, in your solemn assemblies. He's not. He doesn't have a problem with the assembling. He has a problem with their assembling their assembly, yeah. because 
of what's really in their heart. He's like, you might as well just not even worry about me. Like, if you're going to be focused on yourself, go be focused on yourself. Don't, don't be a poser and don't just show up and think that I'm going to have some sort of favor on you yeah. for this. Um, I won't accept them. I won't even listen to the noise of your songs, uh, to the melody of your harps. I will not listen. And this is one of the p- passages I've heard thrown against instrumental music and, and that sort of thing. He's not talking about that. Like, that's not what the point. He's not trying to give a pattern of righteous worship versus non-righteous worship as far as practices. He's talking about the heart of these people, and he's saying, look, I don't want anything that you're offering me, and because you're not doing it from your heart. Right. And in It's the, hollow. Yes, that's the whole point. It's, it's completely fake. It, it's non-religious. Because it's well, it is religious, but it's not. It is purely religious. Yes, that's the problem. That's the thing. It's a it's a shell. So, and you can see this verse twenty five. Look at this. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings during the forty years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? <laughs> so that question right there. Mm-hmm. The, absolutely right. Mm-hmm. But then verse twenty six. You shall take up Sitka, your king, and Kiyun, your star god, your images. That were made for yourselves, and I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. He's comparing here mm-hmm. their worship of God to worship of false idols. Yeah. He's he, basically saying, you might as well be worshiping false idols. Yeah. It's pointless. Take them. Yeah. You know, leave me alone. If, <laughs> if, that's, if that's your heart, go after them. Exactly. Just, I would much rather you... Don't stop pretending and playing yeah. a game with me, and go after the 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 altar, it, the, the actual. It reminds me of what is the the letter to the Laodiceans, mm. where he's like the is that the Luke, lukewarm passage where he's like, um, you know, I would prefer right. that you were hot or cold. I don't want I don't want your lukewarmness exactly. So in other words, if you're either going to be, you're either going to serve God or not. Don't be in this complacent, weird state where you have this outward facade of of serving him. Right. When in reality, you're bowing down to idols in your home. Yeah. Instead of him. It's fake. Yeah. It's just fake. Okay, verse six. Man, we haven't chapter, even gotten to six. the or chapter six. We haven't even gotten to yeah. the. Uh, should we should we speed it up a little bit? Jump yeah, a little we bit? Probably, or? We probably need to. But, okay, I want to because we've got three more chapters. Right, but uh, well, chapter six is. You want me to just read the whole chapter? Yeah, do it. Okay, so chapter six is the uh, kind of the end of this poetic writing. Yes, and then we'll get into Some his, visions. his his visions. Of Which I the love future. the visions. Okay, by the way. so. He's giving him the end of the woes. He says, Woe to those who are at ease in Zion, and to those who feel secure on the mountains of Samaria, the notable men of the first of the nations to whom the house of Israel comes. Pass over to Kauna and see that from there go to Hamath the Great, and then go down to the Gath of the Philistines. Are you better than these kingdoms? Or is their territory greater than your territory? O you who put far away the day of disaster and bring near the seat of violence. Woe to those who lie on beds of ivory and stretch themselves on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp like David, invent for themselves instruments of music, who drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves in the finest oils. But are you grieved over the ruin of Joseph? 
Therefore, they shall now be the first of those who go into exile. And the revelry of those who stretch themselves out shall pass away. Mm. The Lord God is sworn by himself, declares the Lord, the, the God of hosts. I abhor the pride of Jacob, and I hate his strongholds. And I will deliver up the city and all that is in it. And if ten men remain in one house, they shall die. And one and one's relative, the one who anoints him for burial, shall take him up and bring the bones out of the house and shall say to him who is in the innermost parts of the house, Is there still anyone with you? And he shall say, No. And he, and he shall say, Silence. We must not mention the name of the Lord. So he's talking about how... They're not even going to want God anymore after right. this. <laughs> so they're not even going to want the, the facade anymore. Right. So for behold, the Lord commands, and the, and the great house shall be struck down into fragments, and the little house into bits. Do horses run on rocks? Does one plow there with oxen? But you have turned justice into poison and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. You who rejoice in Lodabar, who say... Have we not by our own strength captured Karnam for ourselves? Be, for behold, I will raise up against you a nation, O house of Israel, declares the Lord, the God of hosts, and they shall oppress you from the Bohemoth to the brook of the Arabah. Oh. So this is, this is kind of like the end of his little poetic statements against right. them. But I think it's very, very powerful because, um, once again, when he's talking about all this stuff he hates, remember, he's the one who put those things into place. Right. And, you know, it's not the things that he's hating. It is the nature in which those things are being practiced yes. that he's hating. Right. It's their, it's their complacency, their lack of justice, their lack of, of, of righteousness, which that came up again, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, right there in verse uh, 12. They've turned justice into poison. They've turned righteousness, the fruit of righteousness, into wormwood. And that's their problem. That's the main they're, thing. Well, they're living in their pride, them. and they're they're enjoying their fruits, and they're not giving anything to the poor. And there's right. no justice. There's no righteousness. All right, so, so let's talk about the vision of destruction. This is what I imagined. So God's playing a game with Amos at this point, yeah. right? Yeah. And God's like, hey, so Amos, I got some ways I could do this. <laughs> Tell me what you think. Tell me what you think. This is what I'm thinking. Yeah. So this is the first one, Amos. Check this out. So chapter seven. We're actually going to get some actual narrative. Yeah. I mean, some actual um, uh, stories somewhat happening here in a minute. Oh, yeah. Events. So chapter seven, God shows Amos' first vision. Yeah. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, he was forming locusts when the latter growth (laughs) was just beginning to sprout. And behold, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. When they had finished eating the grass of the land, I said, Oh, Lord God, please forgive. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. And the Lord God relented concerning this. It shall not be, said the Lord. Okay, so a couple things about this. A lot of people are confused about this whole second or latter growth. Mm -hmm. So the first growth after the harvest, at the harvest, the first first fruits Mm -hmm. cut down and they're taxed. Right. Okay? So if the locusts would have eaten up the first fruits... It wouldn't have been as big a deal. Right. It would have still hurt them, but it wouldn't have devastated them. Yeah, yeah. But God is sending these locusts. He's waiting. So they cut off, they tax, they get taxed. So imagine you get taxed. Like Mm -hmm. you you give all your first fruits, and then your second, you're waiting for your second crop because your second crop's going to be your crop, right? Mm -hmm. And the second crop comes up, and then locusts eat it all. (laughs) 
So you're left destitute with nothing. And that's what the picture that God is giving uh, Amos in this first one. There's there's also a thing thing here that I love in all these dialogues that happen between God and prophets, you know, like this. Like this very, this reminds me of the Abraham pleadings about Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, hey, if there's, hey, if I find 50 people there, (laughs) will you save it? God's like, yeah. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Uh, well, about forty. Yeah, I'm just I'm gonna push my luck here, but so and it's and it's like God is teaching while he's doing this negotiation. That's exactly what he's doing. So one of the things that he's that he's drawing out of Amos is exactly what God provides better than anybody. Yeah. What is that? Mercy. That's right. Right. That's what he's, Amos is desiring. And there is an underlying message of this book that I think is going to come out, and that is. Mercy rejoices against justice. Mm. And, uh, of course, that's right out of James. Yes. But anyway, uh, I, I love that the fact that Amos is going straight to mercy. Yeah. like straight, He's like, please forgive God. Yeah. So God says, oh, don't worry. I won't do it this way. Yeah. So verse 4. So, okay, I'll scratch that. <laughs> this is what the Lord God showed me. I'll do it this way, Amos. Behold. The Lord God was calling for a judgment by fire, yeah. and it devoured, devoured the great deep and was eaten up the land, eating up the mm, land. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> then, then I said, "Oh Lord God, please stop! <laughs> How can Jacob stand? He is so small." The Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be," said the Lord God. <laughs> I could do it like this. Yeah. So this whole idea oh, of fire yeah. from the deep. It's it's a fire so strong that well the deep is the sea right so the fire is so strong that it eats up the entire sea mm-hmm. imagine a fire that powerful that would lick up the entire sea <laughs> that's the thing that Amos sees so of course Amos is going to go okay I don't know. nothing can wait a minute I thought the locusts were bad <laughs> exactly this is way worse <laughs> what are you okay. Um, the third vision is not a vision of destruction. But a vision of judgment. Judgment, right. This is what he showed me. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, Behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuary of Israel shall be laid waste, and I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Mm. This is God's response, the real God's response to these two visions. Mm-hmm. He's, he's reminding Amos, listen, Amos, the reason that I'm going to judge them is because I'm measuring them. Yeah. What do you see? Are they plumb? Do, do they, do they right, match right. what they're supposed they're to They're way under doing? this line. Exactly. They're mm-hmm. messed up. I can't, I, I have to destroy them. Right. He's saying they're not plumb. They're going to be laid waste. Right. That's it. And and um, to to kind of listen to what he says here in his prophecy, it's absolutely what he says here absolutely happened. Like the nation that he's talking about right here, the northern kingdom, never came back. That's right. Like whenever it did come back, whenever the the Babylonian exile was through. And the the uh, Persians took over, and the Persians allowed, allowed them. them to go back with Ezra and Nehemiah. What did they do? 
They didn't go back to Samaria. Uh-uh. They didn't go back up to the Northern Kingdom. They, they went, went to, to Jerusalem. Jerusalem and they rebuilt Jerusalem and they rebuilt the wall and and the temple and all that sort of thing. And it started from the the throne of of David, David again instead of Jeroboam. Jeroboam. Yeah, his his kingdom was laid waste. There's no other Northern Kingdom after this. Right. And so God did what He said He was going to do. Okay. Uh, Verse 10. So this gets Amos in some hot water. Yeah, so this is where we're actually going to hear some yeah. some story that's, that's, that's happening along here. All right, then Amaziah, uh, Amaziah, Amaziah, sorry, the, the priest of Bethel. So this is the actual high priest of Bethel, okay, mm-hmm. which is where they worship, not in Jerusalem. They worshiped in Bethel. Sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. (laughs) For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from his land. So Amaziah sends word to the king and says, hey, there's this dude here who's like prophesying and saying that you're going to die and Israel is going to be destroyed. What do you want me to do with him? (laughs) Right? Uh, So this is Amos' answer to Amaziah, and I love this. Amos, and this is why I get the picture of Amos as a uh, farm boy with, you know, just a country guy. Yeah. Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. I was just a farmer, basically. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, go prophesy to the people of Israel. Now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel, and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus is the Lord. Your wife shall be made a prostitute in the city, and your sons and daughters shall fall by the sword, and your land shall be divided up with a measuring line, and you yourself shall die in an unclean land. Whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) Slow down, Amos. Sorry, I didn't mean to ruffle your feathers. Your wife could be a prostitute, dude. (laughs) Wow. <laughs> That's harsh, Amos. It is harsh. Woo. But but you know that this is exactly uh <laughs> the type of thing that God was condemning them for. Yeah. Right? Remember he said you will make the Nazarites drink wine and you Tell prophets not, not to, to prophesy. And that's exactly what they did. They mm-hmm. said, Amos, get out of here. We don't want you. Go back to the South, man. Yeah. And Amos like, I ain't going back to the Go South. Go back to God Texas. To we do don't this. want you here in Oklahoma. But whatever. <laughs> Chapter 8. Go ahead. I'm tired of reading. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, a basket of summer fruit. Uh, and he said, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a basket of summer fruit? Then the Lord said to me, the end has come upon my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The songs of the temple shall become wailings in that day, declares the Lord God. So many dead bodies. They are Thrown everywhere. Silence. I want to cover that. Okay. Okay, so this is his fourth vision or fifth vision? Um, depending uh, on... we got the plumb line one. Yeah, so, so it's, this is four. Four, right. All right. So uh, the basket of summer fruit really confused me at the beginning because it's almost like, what in the world does a basket of summer fruit have to do with any mm-hmm. of this? But this is a play on words, and a Hebrew play on words. The word for summer fruit, is uh, in the Hebrew, quaits, quaits. Mm. It's Q-A-Y-I-T-S. 
in our translation. Quince, yeah. okay? Um, it's used to describe a, har- a harvest of figs that was gathered between August and September. So it's the end of the summer fruit, okay? Okay. But it's also, it's a, uh, it's a word that comes from the Hebrew word end, which means, which is quits. So this vision that God is giving Amos is a vision of complete and utter ending, complete and utter destruction. Mm-hmm. And then right after that, he, he has this, this whole thing. Uh, the song of the temple shall become wailings in that day, declares the Lord. And then, in quotes, so many dead bodies. Right. And then another quote, they are thrown everywhere. And then in the last quote, silence. It's it's so poetic, so awesome the way it's written. That's right. Um, I want to go back to your summer fruit thing, too. Because yeah. um, one, th- one of the things I was reading here was that this is in reference to uh, fruit that is decaying. Oh, fruit yeah. that's no longer good for anything. So this would be like rotted fruit. Or, okay. And that's kind of what, what, what... How do you bring that back is kind of what he's right. saying, I think, is like... The fruit has expired. It's this is done. I can't do anything with it anymore at this point. So it is the end. All right. So go ahead. We're okay. almost finished. Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring poor to the land to an end, saying, "When will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale?" Oh, when will the Sabbath be yeah, over that we may make the ephah? Small you know what that reminds me of? Shekel great. <laughs> Those guys are sitting in church looking at their watches. Yeah, yeah. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, but there is a, is a little bit of a parallel here. Yeah. And and it's not, you know, that you that the church meeting is that all that big of uh, of a thing. We've made it way bigger of a thing than it needs to be. <laughs> we have. But at the same time, the question that comes into play is if you go, like if that's what you're doing, where's your heart? Are you there? Because you want to be there, or are you there because you want people to see you there? There's a big difference because then you start treading the same path these guys are on, mm-hmm. and so it's exactly what he's saying. He's like, you know what? He said, "I'm I'm tired of your your new moons. I'm tired of your feast. I'm tired of those things. Are good things, but the problem was they weren't doing them right." So he's saying the same thing here. Yeah, is that if you're doing the Sabbath and your only thought on the Sabbath is when is this going to be over? So that I can just get back to my my stuff. It does have that same application. Like if you if you're if you're spending time worshiping God, the thought isn't, "Hey, when's this going to be over?" So I can go back. The thought and, is, I don't want this to ever end. Right, <laughs> right. It's a heart That's, issue. It all comes back to a heart issue. Yes, it's, it's the same issue with you know the poor not not loving the needy. It's the exact same heart. Right. That's the problem. Right. It's about seeking God. Mm. Remember, the, seek the Lord. And you'll be okay. That's right. And so uh, this it, this reminds me of uh, the culture shock I go through. Like whenever I go to Haiti and when I come back here yeah. and that sort of thing, it's like you go to Haiti and it's like these people want to worship all the time. Yeah. Like they want to be like, oh, the missionaries are here. Let's worship every night. <laughs> and they want to throw church services just for us and, well, right. and for God. But I mean, because in our... Honor, honor, so we can worship with them. And these worship services can go two hours sometimes, three hours. I mean, it's just like 
they don't want it to end ever. And uh, it, and and then you come back home and it's like, okay, football game's on. You know, I mean, it's like Cowboys <laughs> are playing. <laughs> Just saying. Yeah, you spoke a little long up there this morning, didn't you? You know, <laughs> but uh, so, and it's and it's not that. It's not. I won't be legalistic about this no. at all. That's not the point. The, the, the point, point is a heart issue. That's all it is. Yes, it's a heart issue, and so God is showing them their heart issue mm-hmm. and reminding them by the way they and look at the Sabbath. So, in other words, don't do Sabbath. Yeah, like if that's where you are, don't, don't do it because you're wasting my time too. And so, uh, and same thing. Same thing with the new moon thing. That's a that's a feast, right? And uh, it's a Sabbath. And they were like, "When is this going to be over so we can sell grain?" Um, and, and so anyway, we go down to verse 7. It says, The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their deeds. Shall not the land tremble on this account and everyone mourn who dwells in it? And all of it rise like the Nile and mm. be tossed about and sink again like the Nile of Egypt. That's interesting imagery because the Nile was at the the at the mouth of the Nile right there in Egypt is this huge um this the when the ocean or when the sea would rise the Mediterranean Sea then the the mouth of the river just floods right but right, then whenever huge. the sea goes down it draws everything back out and becomes just this nasty mess and that's kind of what he's saying here is going to happen to them is this all this is going to be pulled away from them and it's just going to be He says, on that day, declares the Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. (laughs) I will turn your feast into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. I will make it like the morning for an only sun at the end of it like a bitter day. Mm. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but a hearing of the words of the Lord. It's like he's saying, you know what? I'm just going to leave. Like, if that's where you are at, I'm just going to remove myself. And my rem- the removing of my presence from <sighs> you is going to be like that ocean, that sea going down, sucking the river of its, of its wealth. And uh, all this stuff that you, that that you thought you was yours is just going to turn to rot, take away from you, and, and you're gonna you're gonna be suffering from a famine, and not necessarily food or water, but 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 from my words, I won't be there uh, to listen to. Yep. Um, he says, and you will run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. And in that day, the lovely virgins and the young men shall faint for thirst, and those who swear by the guilt of Samaria and say. As your God lives, O Dan, and as the way of Beersheba lives, they shall fall and never rise again. Mm-hmm. So anyway, chapter 9 is the last chapter, mm-hmm. and it's kind of divided into a couple different parts. <clears throat> so it's divided into the destruction of Israel, the actual prophesying of the destruction, but a little ray of hope right. there in the end. So this is the last uh, vision that Amos sees, and he sees the Lord standing beside the altar. And we are not clear what altar it is. It could be in Jerusalem. I think it was probably um, in Bethel, mm-hmm. because he's the, what he says is strike the capitals until the thresholds shake. So I imagine God looking out, and this is his 
declaration. He says this, Strike the capitals until the thresholds shake and shatter them on the heads of all the people. Those who are left of them I will kill with the sword. Not one of them shall flee away. Not one of them shall escape. If they dig into Sheol, from there shall my hand take them. If they climb up into heaven, from there I will bring them down. If they hide themselves on the top of Carmel, from there I will search them out and take them. If they hide from my sight at the bottom of the sea, there I will command the serpent, and it shall bite them. And if they go into captivity before their enemies, there I will command the sword, and it shall kill them. And I will fix my eyes upon them for evil and not for good. The Lord God of hosts, he who touches the earth and it melts, and all who dwell in it mourn, and all of it uh, rises like the Nile and sinks again like the Nile of Egypt, there's that image, Mm -hmm. who builds his upper chambers in the heavens and founds his vault upon the earth, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out upon the surface of the earth, the Lord is his name. Are you not like the Cushites to me? Wow. Oh, people, ooh, that's a big slam. That's a big old slam. <laughs> that's not a racist thing, though. Right? Oh, no. Well, no, not at all. But what it is is God saying, you know what? Foreigners. You're you're like... You're nothing you're more not than mine for- anymore. foreigners. Yeah. You, I, you've made yourself completely not my children anymore. Exactly. You're like the Cushites to me, O oh, people of Israel, declares the Lord. Did I not bring up Israel from the land of Egypt? And the Philistines from Carrefour. And mm-hmm. the Syrians from Kerr. This is a big slam also. He's mm-hmm. reminding them that not only is he God of Israel, but he's God of all the earth. Right. Right. He made a covenant with Israel, and Israel's getting a big head. Mm. He's reminding them, no, listen, I'm God. Yeah. I'm God. <laughs> you get that? Um, Behold, the eyes of the Lord uh, God are upon the sinful kingdom and I will destroy it from the surface of the ground, except that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, declares the Lord. Mm. That little hope. Yep. For behold, I will command and shake the house of Israel among all the nations as one shakes out a sieve, but no pebbles shall fall to the earth. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, who say disaster shall not overtake or meet us. So this happened about... You know, roughly forty years later, seven seven twenty two. That's right. Israel falls. Israel the north, falls. Northern kingdom falls to Assyrians. <clears throat> to the Assyrian nation, and um, exactly what he prophesied came true. Uh, uh, um, the remnants were bred out by right. the Assyrians. Um, we read about the Samaritans all over the New Testament. That's, that's the remnants them. of this kingdom, and uh, that's why there is such. Harsh uh, between the Jews, mm-hmm. so okay. The word Jew comes from the fact that they came from Judah, Judah. right? Mm-hmm. So this begins a new like lineage, lineage of, and it's not that there aren't other tribes still surviving, but because there were some that stayed in the southern kingdom. But it was very <clears throat> destructive for those tribes, mm-hmm. and most of them did. I mean, almost all but die out. Yeah, and so the northern kingdom. Um, was just dissipated. Mm-hmm. They were worshiping in the mountain. Uh, we have the story of the woman at the well, and what she say? Our ancestors worshipped in this mountain. Mm-hmm. So th- they didn't worship in Jerusalem. They blended in. They were they became half breeds with the Assyrians, and their bloodlines were watered down. Right. And so basically, everything that God says would happen to those people happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a ray of hope. This is great. There's always a ray of hope, isn't there? 
verse 11. Mm-hmm. In that day I will rise up the booth of David that is fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed, and the mountains shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them in their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. So it's interesting to me that you can have people read these prophets like this mm-hmm. and not have faith that this is that the Bible is true. That Jesus is who he says he is. Well, and not only that, it's, but the fact oh, yeah, that yeah, all yeah. this happened. That happened, yeah. The, all, all this came true after the writing. Right. Much later than the writing. Right. I mean, he's talking about hundreds of years in the future yeah. of this stuff that was happening. and Them being planted back. Mm-hmm. The remnant coming back with the, you know, when the... Uh, right. Um, what's their names? Let, let the Israelites come back after the Babylonians. Yeah. The the Medes and the Persians? Yeah, the Persians. So. so, all right. Well, do you have any news for us? Let's do it, man. We finally got through the book of Amos, man. So. That was good. Um, here we go. And now, the news. There's a new report out uh, about the... Yeah, start that again. There's a new report out about the skeptical state of Bible reading in 2017. For the most part, Americans have positive things to say about the Bible. More than half call it the good source of morals, 52%, Mm. and about a third say it is helpful, 37%. That story you told me, it ain't in there. True, 36%, and life-changing, 35%, according to New Lifeway Research. Even more told the American Bible Society and Barna Group that they believe that it's the actual and inspired Word of God, 81%. But a growing segment, 19% in 2017, up from 10% in 2011, says it's simply a book of teachings and stories written by men. That group has remained fairly stable in recent years. So this year, for the State of the Bible report, ABS and Barna took the people in that category to new, a new question. If you think the Bible was written by only humans, do you think it was meant to be manipulative or controlling? <clears throat> Almost four out of the five skeptics say yes, which adds up to 13% of the U.S. population say that it was written to be manipulative. Yeah. Wow, it's crazy. Um, so 81% believe it's the inspired word of God. Manipulated to righteousness. Yeah, manipulated to righteousness. There you go. That's great. So um, bad. and So bad. Again, 52% say good source of morals. 38% say it's historical. Uh, it, it's a historical account. 37% say it's helpful today. 36% say it's true. 35% say it's life-changing. 34% say it's just a story. 14% say it's outdated. 8% say it's bigoted. 7% say it's harmful. 11% are not sure. And 3% none of the above. I wonder how many of all those people surveyed actually read it. Like diligently. None of the above. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that crazy? 
uh, see it's the like everyone can can form an opinion on sure, something you don't course. you don't really understand or know. So you know Cedarville University. You've ever heard of Cedarville? It's no. one of the biggest uh, Christian universities in the nation. Um, it's in Cedarville, Florida. Um, Cedarville University is a 130-year-old Baptist college with some brand new rules they're calling the Biblically Consistent Curriculum pro- uh, Policy, modeled after Philippians 4.8. 4.8 says, Philippians 4.8, of course, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is if excellent any virtue, or praiseworthy, think about such think things. Think on these things. So they're saying that because of that, they're going to outlaw Schindler's List because there's nudity, uh, Mad Men because of immorality, all R-rated movies, and including PG Passion th- of the Christ. Yeah, and PG-13 movies on a case-to-case basis. Faculty in various departments meetings were absolutely furious. Even faculty who tend to be in favor of the administration's policies said one of the dozens of concerned professors who showed up at the town hall meetings held by administrators in March. It seems to me the goal is to have a squeaky clean, shiny place scrubbed clean like a Christian bookstore. <laughs> oh, wow. Ooh, strong words. So Cedarville's uh, up in arms about their new Philippians 4-8 rule, which is great. Wow. You've never heard of Cedarville? I don't guess so. They used to say if the sidewalks were color-coded for boys and girls, <laughs> pink on one side, blue really? on the other. Yeah. yeah, so they don't have to touch me, me. at all. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> When you have to, when you decide to date, you sign a contract, and you always have to have a supervisor with you at all times. Yeah. And I'm sure that's exactly the way Jesus would have structured it. Obviously, it's in the Bible, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, the IRS and postal inspectors raided Benny Hinn Ministries the other day. Did you hear about that? Yeah, I did hear about in that. Grapevine, Texas. Federal agents descended on he North didn't see Texas it coming? headquarters. What's the deal? <laughs> Seriously, come He's on, a prophet, isn't he? <laughs> Of television evangelist Vinnie Hinn and took boxes out of the office. The search began at 9 a.m. on Wednesday at Hinn's headquarters in Dallas. All he had to do was slay him with the spirit. Suburb of Grapevine. Grapevine's not too far away from us, is it? No, it's not at all. No. About an hour and a half. That's right. Uh, Lima Simlik, the spokeswoman for the U.S. Attorney's Office in Dallas, said she was unable to confirm or deny the existence of an investigation. A message sent to Vinnie Hinn Ministries went unanswered, so they're not responding. Hinn was one of the six television Evangelist investigated by the Senate Finance Committee in 2007. Three years later, the six were cleared of any wrongdoing. So, this might be a second attempt at that. Um, and the new report has come out uh, from uh, the United States Commission of International Religious Freedom on the most persecuted um, countries or most religious, religious oppressed religiously oppressed countries mm-hmm. in the United uh, in the world and uh, so it's no doubt the top countries I'll just read them real quick Burma is number one obviously Central African Republic China um, in Tria which I've never heard of that Iran Nigeria North Korea Pakistan and Russia has jumped up to mm. the top Saudi Arabia the Sudan Syria uh, I'm surprised the Middle Eastern countries are, are yeah. falling down in the list there. They are. Uh, Turkmenistan, 
Uzbekistan, Vietnam are all in the top priorities, the top, the worst of the worst. Yeah. Where people are killed for their religious yeah. beliefs. Yeah. Um, in the yellow are Afghanistan, Azbazaristan, uh, Baran, Cuba, Egypt, Indonesia, India, Iraq, uh, Laos, right? Turkey, and Malaysia. Hmm. And then in the yellow, which is the third tier, the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria, or ISIS. Yeah. Um, the Taliban in Afghanistan and Al-Shabaab in Somalia. Designated as the worst of the worst. Wow. So pray for the people that are in those places mm-hmm. and uh, realize that there are brothers and sisters and uh, they're being killed daily yep. for the good news of the gospel. It makes you think about um, the insanity of God, yep. know, that, the book. And what was the statement that uh, that he made? There is no such thing as a per- is the persecuted church and the non-persecuted church. Persecuted. We are all That's right. the church, and you have brothers who are being persecuted Amen. in your church. Amen. Well, that's all I have, man. I had no church history. I had no Pope news. Everything's quiet right now. Yeah. So uh, that's all we got, dude. But it's about time anyways, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, we we went, we studied a pretty decent-sized book. So. We did. <laughs> let's do it. All right, let's get it out of here. The Theonauts are part of the Great Commission Transmission Network. Using new media and social networking to go into all the world and proclaim the good news to everyone. To find out more, go to gctnetwork.com, subscribe to the newsletter, stay up to date with all our shows, including Finding Christ in Cinema and the Secret Fire Podcast. Yes, visit our website at theonautspodcast.com for show notes and outlines. Listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or your favorite podcast catcher. And be sure to rate us because that helps us reach a larger audience. There are several ways you can contact us and leave us feedback. Send us email to theonauts at gctnetwork.com or call us on our voicemail line at 972-885-7270. Tweet to us on Twitter using at Theonautical. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash theonauts. If you like us and want even more Theonauts, drop us a buck or two at patreon.com slash theonauts. Your patronage helps us in our expenses like hosting fees and equipment costs. And don't forget to tune in again and explore the vast reaches of God's Word with us. All right, Jeremiah, thanks for being here, brother. Thank you, David. God bless. This has been the Theonauts Podcast. Call us with your questions or comments at 972-885-7270. That's 972-885-7270. We'd love to hear from you. You are tuned in to the GCT Network. This is your Great Commission Transmission at GCTNetwork.com. This is your Great Commission Transmission. Now, you might do your English teacher that way, but I'm not teaching English. I'm teaching eternal life here. I love you. You know I love you. I like-